This is Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's come to check on our progress. Your clones are very impressive. You must be very proud. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Ever made your way as far into the interior as Coruscant? Once or twice. Recently? Possibly. Then you must know Master Cypher Dias. Oh, Boba, Rudeid Sohib. Master who? Cypher Dias. Is he not the Jedi who hired you for this job? Never heard of him. Really? I was recruited by a man called Tyrannus on one of the moons of Bogdan. Curious. Do you like your army? I look forward to seeing them in action. They'll do their job well. I'll guarantee that. Thank you for your time, Django. Always a pleasure to meet a Jedi. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 403, Attack of the Eris. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Dexter Jetster, to my Watto, we have Carl LeClaire. Watto, so good to see you. Take a, take a seat, I'll be right with you. Uh, Abby? <laughs> Abby? Ah. <laughs> You are Dexter, it is you! Hey. <laughs> you could probably tell by the way I make my java juice. Yeah, uh, you sure uh, got big, didn't you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, Jason, how are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Oh, pretty good, all things considered. I'm, I'm so excited to dive back into Attack of the Clones talk some talk some character of uh, some of our favorite character moments from that movie and of course we're going to talk a little bit about the newest episode of the mandalorian chapter 11 the heiress excellent yes i'm super excited because not only is it you know mandalorian which is going pretty good and that's a fantastic episode but we're talking my second favorite star wars movie of all time today and i love it i love it so much uh, yeah i <laughs> I have watched a lot of attack of attack of the clones in the last month and a half. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm nothing but happy about it. (laughs) I love that movie so much. Very happy to hear. (laughs) Yes. So starting this week, uh, this chapter 11 of Mandalorian blew both of our socks off. Um, as it did so many, so many folks, uh, you know, this past week. 
And I messaged Jason, you know, a few days ago and I was like, I kind of just want to talk about the newest episode of Mandalorian, but we'd also made a plan to do a few weeks of Attack of the Clones love because we just couldn't get enough of it from the last episode we did. And uh-huh. uh, so we've decided uh, for the rest of season two of Mandalorian to start each episode each week with a little segment called Mando Watch. And Mando Watch. Mando <laughs> Watch. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we're just going to share a few of the a few, you know, brief highlights from each week's episode that w- that really stood out to us. It's not going to be an exhaustive like, hey, here's a deep dive. Look at the episode. There's plenty of podcasts doing that. And there's so many good ones doing it. Um, and I'm sure at a later date, we'll come back and do deeper dives into each of these episodes. But I have a feeling that the rest of the season is really going to continue to grab us. And we figured why not start if we're doing a weekly star Wars podcast, why not just take a few minutes at the beginning of each episode, just to share some of the things that we really liked on the newest episode. So that being said, of course, each week, if, if we are sharing stuff from the new episode, be advised, obviously spoilers will be shared. Um, yep. So if you don't have the ability to watch the episodes, um, you may want to skip that segment of uh, the start of the show. Um, or if you've not yet seen the episode, maybe you're just, you know, lagging behind a bit because life is busy for you. Um, you may want to skip that part of the segment cause, uh, we're not going to withhold spoiler information. Exactly. And we'll give you a spoiler warning each week just to be sure. But yeah, uh, spoilers ahead for Mandalorian, uh, season two, episode three, the heiress. Yes. Yes, indeed. No. Um, but before we dive into the heiress episode of uh, Mandalorian. We had a matchup from uh, a couple weeks ago uh, that was very one-sided in the responses, but uh, I'm not surprised by that, but I was, I was hoping for a little bit closer of a, of a fight, but we wanted to see which beast battle from Mandalorian was your favorite so far. So of course we have the epic fight with the Mudhorn in season one, chapter two, and of course season two, uh, chapter nine, opened with a great crate dragon battle. So we asked all of you which fight you preferred, the Mudhorn or the crate dragon. And Jason, what did they resoundingly say? Well, it wasn't close. Um, <laughs> we got almost 100 uh, responses to this uh, matchup. And thank you, everyone, so much for, for weighing in on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So we do really appreciate that. Um, but the crate dragon won quite handily, uh, 75 out of those 100, almost 100 votes went to the crate dragon and 23 went to the Mudhorn. Uh, Carl, I have a suspicion that you are with the minority on this one. What do you say? You are correct. I am with the minority here. I, uh, I prefer the Mudhorn fight, um, mainly for a lot of the reasons that folks who also picked this said, which is it's a more personal part of the Mandalorian story. The Crate Dragon, nothing's wrong with it. It is awesome. No doubt about it. I love that fight so much. But when it comes to, I was thinking of it more of like, all right, which one is more important for the character of Din Djarin? And to me, it's the Mudhorn fight. This is who he, he wears the signet of. It was this moment of bonding between him and the child. But more importantly, I like the fight because he gets his butt kicked. Um, I, I really appreciate stories where we see our hero lose. I think it's important that they not be invincible characters. And I love the fight between the Mandalorian and the Mudhorn because he gives everything he can to 
can to that fight, and it still takes a miracle through the child to save him. So I just love that thematic element of of that moment in in chapter two. So again, I love the Great Dragon fight, but for me, I prefer the Mudhorn uh, battle in my book. But where do you where do you land, Jason? Oh man, this was a very difficult decision for me because you know I, I am definitely in Star Wars for the action adventure, you know side of things and we got that in spades with the crate dragon fight um so much cool action uh you know huge odds you know against the crate dragon things like that it was it was just an epic epic thing and a fantastic use of everything that was had at their disposal to to try and take this thing down before it finally went down the mudhorn fight is as you rightly said, definitely much more of a personal milestone for Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, the child. Uh, it is, of course, you know, as you said, become his signet um, and is the identification of the clan of two that they have become here. Um, so it is much more important from a story perspective and a character building perspective for uh, the Mandalorian and the child um, with the Mudhorn fight, then the Crate Dragon fight. The Crate Dragon fight was a great testing ground and, you know, that sort of thing, but it doesn't really do much in the way of, of, of changing the, the view of this character yet to us. So, um, for those reasons, though, I think I'm going to go ahead and, and side with you, Carl, and pick the Mudhorn fight as the one I like better because it is the more lasting uh, impact uh, fight at this point. So who knows? Maybe the crate dragon, you know, fight will, will come back. Uh, you know, supposedly Boba saw them take the crate down. So maybe that'll have something, you know, played out later. But as for right now, uh, the Mudhorn is the more lasting impact um, and has the more meaning uh for it in the story um and the way that they they work that in in the show i think is really uh fantastic so i'm gonna go with the uh the mud horn with you carl which gives us a nice even sort of tally <laughs> yeah. uh 75 for the crate dragon and 25 for uh the mud horn and even 100 votes in this uh this matchup, which I think is just, that's just amazing to me um, that we got <laughs> even yeah, 100. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you want Mudhorn too. So we can get a perfect 75, 25%. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Like Jason said, thank you everybody who, who, who weighed in on them on this matchup. We have a, a poll for you in light of this week's episode. So stick around for the end of the end of the show for that. Also, at the mm-hmm. end of the episode, we, we are just about finishing up with the A New Hope radio drama. We are up to episode 12 tonight, um, The Case for Rebellion. So if you've been following along to the A New Hope radio drama, stick around at the end of the episode for that, episode 12. Um, and one other final piece of news to share. Uh, we were very happy to have a giveaway last month with our, our copy of the Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark book. Um, congratulations again to Jeff Englehart for winning that. Um, we're going to be doing another giveaway, uh, in the next, for the next, over the next few weeks, as Jason and I celebrate, uh, attack of the clones love. We have a copy of the attack of the clones soundtrack to give away. 
Um, and uh, we, of course, uh, if, if you've been with the show for a little while, you know how much Jason and I both love Star Wars music. Um, and of course, we love Attack of the Clones. So we are going to uh, cap off our Attack of the Clones love fest in a couple of weeks by giving away a copy of the Attack of the Clones soundtrack. Um, so stick around for the coming weeks for details on how to participate in that. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think we've got all that out of the way. And I think I think the spoiler warning is in effect now for yes. the next uh, little bit because um, we, we're going to talk – Mandalorian chapter 11, the heiress. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, Jason, can I, can I just point out right off the bat, the thing that I loved most about, well, I mean, I shouldn't say most, I didn't love it most, but the, the most endearing part of this episode to me and to obviously from the sounds of it, a lot of star Wars fans. Um, can I guess please endearing moment? Uh, I'm going to guess it's the, the frog reunion on the dock. You would be correct. Good old Mama and Papa Frog. Yeah. Mama and Papa. Listen to this music, too. so cute why, why is it that they can they can give us these heartfelt tender moments with a bunch of anthropomorphic frogs how is how is that possible i think it's a, it's it's just like a perfect combination of 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 acting by these 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 actors in their suits obviously you you know you pointed out before recording jason and in, in case folks don't know um who's playing uh, mama frog Yep, is uh, Misty Rosas, who was in the costume for Queel uh, last season. So she was the the on-person um, body actor, uh, and of course Nick Nolte provided the voice. Yes, um, um, but, I don't uh, yeah. know. I don't know who's in Papa Frog, um, but they're just her, and, and again, like such incredible uh, costume build. The way that she smiles when she sees him and squeals, and then that. <laughs> That beautiful music Ludwin Gorenson gives us. Again, I'm still bummed we haven't gotten the music for season two yet. Um, but it's it's just such a heartwarming moment um, because it's just there's this joyfulness that they're sharing together in this little moment. Dee Bradley Baker is the frog voices, by the way. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Dee Bradley Baker is is known for his creature voices uh, in animation and stuff so mm. uh yeah that's that's one of the things he gets hired for he did appa and momo in the avatar uh the last airbender series so uh and a whole bunch of monsters and a bunch of other things so yeah that that's one of his specialties so uh kind of funny to see him come back and do both frog voices so. <laughs> yeah that's so good um but I was watching the episode, uh, my my second viewing. I watched it with with my girlfriend, and she just absolutely loved them, and immediately started calling them Mama Mama Frog and Papa Frog. Um, and uh, it is it's just like such a it's. I mean, I know this is corny, but that's exactly how she and I react to each other every time we see each other. Um, just so excited to see one another. Like it, it's and right like 
the chapter 10 was all about him getting her there and she's it's so important like she knows he's waiting for her on the one planet that's you know habitable for them and for their their eggs to procreate and it's just it's just this beautiful moment of sweet release and i don't know it just it made my heart feel so warm (laughs) it's uh it's pretty cool i i do like it um but uh yeah, well, you know what were what were what was a moment that what what's something that really stood out for you from this episode? Because I mean, obviously, there's a lot. I mean, to be honest, I I can't I can't get over how freaking perfect uh, Katie Sackoff is as Bo Katan in this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, she uh, voiced Bo Katan in both. Clone Wars and Rebels, um, but she not only can voice the character, but is perfect at portraying her on screen. Um, the The wig was great. The costume was fantastic. The helmet was just perfect. But you know the the characterization, the portrayal of of Bo Katan was was spot on in here and you know obviously it helps when you have Dave Filoni and Katie Sackhoff reuniting again to portray this character you know so obvious um but of course um Bryce Dallas Howard is the one who directed this episode but you know Dave was involved so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I I mean this scene Jason I didn't even realize that Katie Sackhoff was uh the voice actor who does Bo-Katan because as soon as she starts talking, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it sounds just like her. And then I, I was texting with our, you know, our friend Jim Urso and he was like, yeah, it's the, it, that is the, the, the voice actor who does her in clone wars and rebels. I was like, I didn't even realize. And also did, I've totally forgotten that she also played, um, uh, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the character's name from Battlestar Galactica. Um, Starbuck. Yes. She played Starbuck in, uh, the, the newer version of Battlestar Galactica. Um, yeah, I mean, it just a total flawless uh, translation from animation into into live action. Um, yeah. And obviously, we've been very clearly teased that Ahsoka is coming, um, whether it's yeah. next episode or not. We'll wait and see. Um, and obviously, all the rumors have been that it's Rosario Dawson. Um, I feel like it'll be a little harder translating her to live action only because we we as fans have such a attachment to Ashley Eckstein um, being Ahsoka Tano. So yeah. seeing someone different and I, I don't think it'll be so much seen as it will be hearing. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's where it'll really stand out is if, if she doesn't really sound like Ahsoka. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those like super judgy, like, Oh gosh, it's, there's no way it can be if it's not this person. It's like, well, I'm, I want to give it the benefit of the doubt is if it's Ahsoka, it's Ahsoka. Great. Um, it might be a different interpretation, but hopefully it'll still be Ahsoka. Um, right, right. I, I will say um, the uh, the other Mandalorians there, mm. for a split second, I thought um, they were that the, the girl was supposed to be Sabine. Um, mm. For a split second. Uh, Corvus but, Reeve or, is that other yeah, Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and, of course... Axe somebody another for yes Axe uh, Axe Wolfman or something which was cr- that name was yeah. created by George Lucas 
He was on nice. set and he created that name. Um, so that is a George Lucas creation um, in Mandalorian. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked Corvus Reeve, uh, who's played by Mercedes Veranda, also known as Sasha Banks in the WWE world. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, these gosh, when they showed up and just kicked ass, <laughs> it was yeah. awesome. Um, it was just so yeah. cool. And I, again, love the music, Ludwig Gornson. It's more of a motif than I would say a theme because um, it's kind of like a five note motif. But the motif he gave, to, I don't know if that's supposed to be for Bo-Katan or for the Mandalorians in general. In my mind, it's for the Mandalorians. Um, but the mo- the musical motif he created was just absolutely awesome. Um, so just seeing them show up and this was the biggest part of not my biggest takeaway. I think of the episode, Jason is these new Mandalorians showing up, taking those helmets off and that Mm -hmm. really riling up, uh, din and, and, and he really has to confront the reality that there are different ways of being Mandalorian. And, and this is, this is probably my favorite, um, dialogue exchange in the episode. And you are a child of the watch. The Watch. Children of the Watch are a cult of religious zealots that broke away from Mandalorian society. Their goal was to reestablish the ancient way. There is only one way. The way of the Mandalore. By the way, you can hear the that musical motif playing in the background. Doom, 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 doom. I can't really hum very well, but again, it's, I think it's like five notes. Um, this is where I wish David W. Collins would, would educate us on it. But um, yeah, it's a really cool musical motif, but oh my gosh, I just, I love, I love that, that moment because it sheds light on the type of Mandalorians um, Din djarin has been running with, which is essentially <laughs> an extremist group. Um, and, and I love that line of his, there is only one way. Uh, I mean, that is, that is the language of every fundamentalist religious cult in the world is we are the only way. And, um, I'm of the opinion that there is no such thing as only one way. Uh, and, and, and clearly Bo-Katan also Bo-Katan holds that, that opinion as well is that there is more than one way. Um, so again, like, you know, we've speculated about this a few times, Jason, what this episode can mean for his character development, but this is clearly the biggest thing is, is what is he going to do with the reality that these are Mandalorians They're and they're also by blood Mandalorians in a way that yeah. he is not. And, yeah. uh, they are just as much Mandalorian as he is. Yeah. This armor has been in her family for three generations you know she got it on mandalore she used to rule mandalore for a brief time you know it it's this is this is completely out of left field and is has the potential to just completely shake the entire foundation that din has built his his life on um so and he seems to at least accept that they have a different way by the end of the episode. Um, yeah. Because there are, you know, overarching themes uh, between them. Um, uh, but of course, you know, he's also, you know, a brand new clan. He's been dubbed a clan of two with him and the child at the moment by the armorer. So he, he has to know there are other clans out there who, you know, probably have other ways, you know, and now he's finally run across one of them. Yeah. And it's, 
it's not only is he run across one that's just different ways, but he's run across one that has ambitions to really do something big. Yeah. Because Bo-Katan is not here just to, you know, kind of hide or anything. No, she's she's here because she's trying to get weapons and ar- armaments to retake Mandalore from, I assume, the Empire. Yeah. So. Yeah. And um, yeah. When they're when they when they sit down for a drink together, well, they all have drinks. Mando doesn't because he doesn't take his helmet off. Um, right. But she, I love just that very poignant fact of you know he he thinks that Mandalore itself is cursed. Um, a, probably something told to him by you know the by the watch. Um, children of the watch, children of the watch, right. Believe that Mandalore is cursed. And she, I love how Bo-Katan says, that's what the empire wants you to believe. They want to divide us, right? How do you, how do you conquer something as powerful as Mandalore with this strong, you know, mighty warrior culture divide them, right? How do you, how do you, how do you defeat any powerful nation power, whatever you divide them? (laughs) So, um, so I, you know, I, I'm curious what you think about this, Jason. They recruit Mandalorian, right, to help them with their raid on the the Imperial vessel. Did they need him? Do you think they need his help? Probably not. Although uh, it was definitely a good thing he was there um, because he was able to help that final push before the the ship careened into the ocean. Um, but. I'd say initially, probably not, but it's definitely better to have four Mandalorians rather than three. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they needed him at all. I think she asks him to help in hopes of recruiting him. That's my takeaway. Um, I think Bo-Katan, there's almost, it's almost like, you know, when she, when she says, uh, or gosh, what's the other Mandalorian's name? Um, the guy Axe Wolfman or, or Axe Wolf yeah. or something. When he says, ah, oh, he's one of them. And she goes, dang Farragut. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, like both Axe and Corvus seem to be like just kind of annoyed that he is a children of, he's a child of the watch. But Bo-Katan right. almost seems to pity him. Right. Um, so I think for her is, you know, her purpose for her, the purpose of Mandalorians now is to reclaim Mandalore, you know, to, to take pride in who you are again, um, to take back your planet. And I think she wants to unite any Mandalorian she meets, you know, in the same way he's out there seeking other Mandalorians to help him in his quest. It seems like Bo-Katan and her compatriots are also seeking other maybe um, wayward Mandalorians to bring them into this ultimate fight. Um, Because, again, like watching the battle, which is, again, I I love like the way they the the infiltration battle. It's just to me, pure classic Star Wars fun. Um he except for that moment where he like takes all the shots, which is a really cool moment. He really doesn't seem like they it doesn't seem like they need him. But I really feel like she's trying to recruit him. And that's kind of her last pitch is if you change your mind, this is where we'll be. Um, and the way she says, but when she says this, you know, your bravery and courage will be remembered. This is the way. And he actually responds that time with this is the way and gives her his customary head nod. I think you're right, Jason, that he leaves there with some level of like uh acceptance that there are different ways of being Mandalorian. Yeah. I don't think he thinks at this point he can be anything but the kind of Mandalorian that he is. Uh, But it's at least laying a seed that perhaps, perhaps he'll be different in the future. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, The, 
I will say the the sort of subplot going on with the Imperials was also something interesting with me because mm. uh, this uh, you know freighter captain uh, is definitely you know connected in some way with um, Moff Gideon and who has the dark saber that Bo-Katan is after. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it was just a little interesting connection to, you know, and nice to see uh, Moff Gideon again, you know, just say, Hey, don't forget about him. He's out there. Uh, and, uh, he's not going to take too kindly when he finds out Mando is involved with this. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I did have an interesting th- discussion going on. I, I was talking with Kyle Baca and Joey Letson um, uh, about this episode um, over the weekend, and I can't remember who would, it was. But one of them said, you know, it was like just theorizing. It was like, well, what what if what if Moff Gideon is working for someone else? Mm. If we've seen, you know, if we've seen Bo Katan and we're going to see Ahsoka. What's to say we won't see Sabine? And if they have found Ezra, that means Thrawn is out there. If is Thrawn possibly behind Moff Gideon? That was the theory going on, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, it's a good, it's a fun theory. I wouldn't put it past Dave, and um. Uh, Favreau to do that, but I'm not sure it's necessary for this show either. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think? I never thought of that. Um, it it could be. Uh, I would. I don't think so. Only because I do feel like Moff Gideon is our big bad of the show. Um, yeah. Uh, the fact that he has the dark saber shows that he's he's taken Mandalore and his obsession with the child means to me that he in some way is obsessed with trying to get the force because he doesn't naturally have it. So he's trying to find some, you know, physiological way to maybe tap into midi chlorians and give himself the force. So I feel like he's very much his own boss. But, you know, time will tell. Who knows? Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you because he does seem to everything's kind of leads to him in terms of villainy mm, yeah. at this point. Yeah. Uh, he's got the dark saber, which means he's tied in with Mandalore. And now the, the pursuit that Bo-Katan has uh, to free Mandalore, which is probably something Din is going to get caught up in sooner or later. Um, now that it's been introduced <laughs> and uh, you know, he's after the child, which has been the driving force behind the whole Genesis of the show anyways. So I think you're right. Um, I think Gideon is definitely the big bad. Um, yeah. It would be interesting if Thrawn shoot, showed up, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wouldn't say no to it, but I don't think it's necessary for this show. Right. I don't either. Um, <clears throat> the, the only other thing I wanted to, I mean, again, there's so much stuff, but just to keep it, to keep it shorter. The one thing I do want to point out again, musically speaking is uh, whenever Bo, what, during the raid, whenever Bo-Katan kind of takes the lead or gives out an order or says this is the way, we immediately get the music that accompanies the armorer from season one. And I just find that very interesting because to me, you know, the armorer is obviously clearly a woman and Din, Din is used to a kind of a woman being in control of his clan. 
So I think in a in an interesting musical way, Ludwig Göransson is trying to show that uh, she is kind of a new authority figure, just like the armorer. And yeah, um, I think that's why Din follows her. Yeah, it, it definitely uh, would explain some things, um, or explain why he he sort of falls in line without much question. Um, but because she is, she she has this air of authority. She commands authority. She's, you know, she's held the dark saber before, um, you know. So, and uh, I do like the. I didn't pick up on that musically, um, because I was just so engrossed in what was going on on the screen. Um, but I'm glad you picked that up because now I'll pay attention to it next time I watch the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed it. Like uh, after a couple times watching it, I was like, "Oh, interesting. That's like the the same music as that we got for um, for the armor." So, yeah. Anyway, Alrighty. cool. Well, there well, you, there you go. Uh, first first run through of our Mando watch is is complete. <laughs> Yes, Mando watch. Oh boy. Um well it needs a sound effect. It does. I know. We'll have to work on that. Um Yeah. So, you know, if if there's one thing that I feel like uh chapter 11 the heiress really did a good job of tapping into of of attack of the clones energy it's certainly mm-hmm. that love of mama and papa frog mm-hmm. because anakin reminds us very importantly and so you might say that we are encouraged to love that's right anakin let's go to attack of the clones <laughs> <laughs> oh yes let's hop with us on this segue um <laughs> as we move over very subtle, Carl. Very subtle. Well, you know, um, I am known for that. <laughs> yes. um, so this um, week we wanted to talk about some of our favorite character moments. We're going to share three three big character moments in Attack of the Clones that uh, that we really enjoy. Um, I didn't particularly pick necessarily like all-time favorites, although one of them is definitely an all-time favorite. But um, my challenge to myself was, is like, I wanted to try to think of some new moments from the movie that I haven't talked about as, as extensively. Now, to be fair, one of them I have, but I don't care. I just can't not talk about it again. Um, but my other two is I wanted to try to focus on a moment from each of the big three characters from the prequels. So Padme, Anakin, and Obi-Wan. So that I tried to pick a moment for each of them in, in mine. Um, so that's what I did when I was preparing mine. That's just how I, I did mine. I don't know what you did with yours, Jason. Oh, I, I kind of just went with uh, some favorite all-time character moments. So, um, yeah, I had a feeling you would have some a real good diverse set of moments anyway. So I knew mine were all very Anakin heavy, and I was like, oh, I got to get something a little bit more than just Anakin here. So I want I, that's why I decided to do something a little bit different. Perfect. Well, um, uh, do you want to start or shall I start? Up to you, my friend. Um. Well, I'll go ahead and start. Awesome. Um. My first character moment um, is going to be Yoda and the younglings teaching Obi-Wan. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love this scene. I have talked about it many, many times before. Um, and I will continue to talk about it in the future because it is one of the most tender and uh, instructive scenes in the entire movie. Um, 
First, you know, I love the fact that, you know, we've got Grandmaster Yoda, who's the leader of the Jedi Council, teaching a bunch of younglings. You know, it, it's, it just feels right uh, for Master Yoda to be doing that. And then Obi-Wan comes to Yoda with this problem. And I find it interesting that he comes to Yoda with this problem in the middle of class. Um, <laughs> but uh, Yoda doesn't seem to mind. And he uses it as a teaching moment, not only for the kids to sort of, you know, use their their you know intellect and their stretch out with their feelings and to, to try and solve the problem that Obi-Wan places in front of them, but also to teach Obi-Wan to never discount the, you know, the young and to admit that, you know, sometimes the simple answer, even if it's supposedly unlikely, is the right one, you know, because master, someone erased it from the archive memory, um, <laughs> which should be impossible. You know, the, the Jedi archives should be complete. You know, it, only a Jedi could have erased those files, as Yoda says, you know, um, but but that's what the answer is. It is the correct answer, and it's the only one that makes sense given the data that they've got. And Obi-Wan has to follow up as if this is truth. Um, and when he does, he finds Kamino. So it's a great moment overall because, you know, not only is, is it, you know, just I love just being able to see more into the training side of the Jedi at this point, mm. you know, Yoda and the younglings and that sort of thing. And it's great to see Yoda doing that. Um, but it's, it's fun to, you know, it's a great character moment for Yoda uh, to showcase his, he's still teaching, even though he's, you know, the figurehead of the Jedi order at this point. Um, but it's also a great character moment for Obi-Wan as he is reminded to continue to learn and to continue to listen, even to voices that most people would deem insignificant or unknowledgeable about things. So, um, and having worked with kids um, that age and a little older for uh, a long time over um, my years, I, I can tell you sometimes what they say and the ideas they have are complete nonsense, but other times they're actually quite observant and poignant so uh, you know it, it never hurts to listen so and that's uh that's why i love this moment i love it so much it's it's yeah it's absolutely brilliant and and this the music that they use right here to kind of just give you that sense of kind of magic and wonder right as they're looking at the uh, 3d scar starscape um you know it, it's I love this music. It's just beautiful. Beautiful. Um, magical. Yeah, magical. Exactly. And like you said, Jason, it's just this moment where as old as Yoda is, um, as much knowledge as he has, as much wisdom as he has, he still sees the wonder of a child as being something profoundly beautiful. Um so yeah, uh, I, I'm right there with you. I think this this is just such a such a great moment in in the movie in general and in Star Wars in particular. Um, actually, that should have been the other way around. 
in the movie in particular, Star Wars in general, but whatever. Um, uh, we, we got the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I also really love that moment because it, it, it shows the type of teacher Yoda is, even though much of the rest of the council is very rigid and is very, um, you know, stuck in their ways. Yoda, I mean, welcomes kind of the simple, the simple thoughts of a child to come out. Um, and then, and like praises that child for, you know, you're right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just such a, a, a wonderful little moment. Yeah. Love it. Well, what about you? What's, what's your first uh, character moment that you want to bring to us today? Mine is, is, is from Padme and it's when she and Anakin, uh, first arrive at Naboo. I wasn't the youngest queen ever elected, but now that I think back on it, I'm not sure I was old enough. I'm not sure I was ready. The people you serve thought you did a good job. I heard they even tried to amend the Constitution so you could stay in office. I was relieved when my two terms were up. But when the Queen asked me to serve as senator, I couldn't refuse her. Um, I, it, Kind of an interesting moment. But again, I, I wanted to try to think of moments that I don't normally talk about. And this moment actually has really stood out to me since the, uh, you know last month when we did our kind of in-depth dive of our behind-the-scenes look at Attack of the Clones. Um, George, George wrote this scene to be kind of a counterpoint to Palpatine. So Palpatine is someone who has stayed in office for a very long time, even though his term has, should have been up. He stays in mm-hmm. office because he keeps creating these, these uh, crises and these catastrophes where the Senate demands he stays on and he chooses to. Padme is the good public servant who understands that terms are something to be respected. And when your term is up, it's time to move on. And she does that. Um, so I think that this is it's it it shows us exactly the type of leader Padme is, is she understands and respects the system that is in place and understands that she is certainly a part of it, but she shouldn't be all of it. So I think, you know, again, like I, I never noticed that before I was reading until again, like I read some of that stuff about Attack of the Clones, but George literally put that scene in there to be the counteract of Palpatine, whereas Palpatine mm. is always grabbing more and more power and doing anything he can to, to, to bend the constitution to his will. Padme is somebody who lives within the, within this respect for these established systems um, and wants to serve those systems rather than them serve her. Um, and in that moment, she, she's expressing Anakin. She's really proud of what she did, but at the same time, she's relieved, you know, she was relieved when her term was up. And the thing that I love about this moment too, in the movie, Jason, is that, as they're walking, you know, Anakin's carrying her luggage and they're walking through Theed, you act, they actually walk by two Gungan dignitaries. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I love that because it's just like a very subtle reminder of the peace that she helped to establish between the Naboo and the Gungans back in Phantom Menace 10 years ago has yeah. lasted. Right. So like in this moment of like, boy, the people of Naboo really love you. And it's probably because of the fact that she she harnessed this piece and with and, and held up that piece that is still enduring. Like that's Padme's legacy is she united these this these two divided cultures and it's still standing a decade later. That's what Padme accomplished, and she did it all while respecting what was there. Um and, and I just it makes me really love her character. And it's also an interesting counterpoint to the character of Anakin in the movie. Anakin is someone who hates um, 
when things come to an end. He doesn't like things to change, whereas Padme respects the change. Because as Shmi said, you can't stop the change any more than you can stop the suns from setting, right? Padme exactly. understands that she served her time in office. She did what she could for then. And then it came up. So the queen asked her to be to, to serve in the Senate. Of course, I'll do that next. So again, like this moment is really, to me, really incredible about Padme because it shows how much she loves and and cares for the system that she's helped put into place. But and it also shows her as these counter counter character to to our villain as well as our falling hero, right? Um, whereas again, Pad- Palpatine wants all the power. Padme respects that it's time to sometimes let it go. Whereas Anakin mm-hmm. wants to do everything he can to stop things from changing, Padme has the wisdom to understand that life is a constant process, and she can, and she lives into the process. So I don't know. I just I love that moment because of just how wise and wonderful it makes Padme um, uh, appear because she is. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a great moment, you know, and it, and it does sort of give us a nice, you know, not only is it, is it a nice character moment to show the, the maturity and the growth and Padme's understanding of public office and things like that and the, the counterpoint to Palpatine, but it also gives us a nice little summary um of of the history of what happened with padme in the 10 years since it's been uh between movies so um which is also very nice and helpful for for everything because it it, that that 10 years that history gives us the context as to to why padme is where she is and uh has the belief that she does that she's espousing now yeah um and and you're right. I do love the fact that there's the Gungan dignitaries in this capital city of Theed. Um, it really does show that there has been work put into bridging the gap between the two cultures on Naboo, the the Naboo people and the Gungans, um, and to bringing them all together to really kind of uh, represent the the planet as a whole, uh, rather than just one uh, representing the planet. Uh, and the other having to exist there. And of course, that's also um, indicated with the fact that Jar Jar is also uh, a, a representative for yeah. Naboo in the Galactic Senate as well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what's your next character moment? My next character moment. Um, well, we're going to move a little bit further along and uh, on the storm-swept planet of Camino, And, um, well, let's just call this scene always a pleasure to meet a Jedi. <laughs> uh, and this is the scene between Obi-Wan and Jango Fett, uh, which I believe we opened the episode We with. did. I knew you'd pick uh, this. That's why I, I was like, all right, I want to put this there. I was like, I'm going to be really bummed <laughs> if this doesn't get brought up. Because I, I know I'm not bringing it up, but I was like, I will be so disappointed in Jason if he doesn't bring this up. Because I like this is one of your favorite moments in Star Wars. This is one of my favorite dialogue scenes in all of Star Wars. <laughs> it is so, so crisp and well put together. Um, you know, you've got the, the sort of, uh, verbal sparring going on between Obi-Wan and Jango Fett. Um, Tan Wee is just standing there sort of above and aloof everything, not really mm-hmm. paying attention. I'm sure she knows the tension is there, but she's not acknowledging it. And the cut away to Boba, um, 
his suspicious eyes darting back and forth and everything like that is great. Like the whole thing about this scene is terrific. Um, they, none of them both know why the other is there. Bob, uh, Django knows, uh, Obi-Wan is there to, uh, to arrest him for the attempt on Padme's life. Obi-Wan knows Django is that bounty hunter and he's just kind of now figured out Django's the, you know, the template for this new clone army. So he's going to use that as an excuse to go see him. They both know why Obi-Wan is there, but none, neither of them are going to admit or let on how much they know, uh, to each other's face. Um, and it's just a, a fantastic, you know, duel of manners to try and keep things on an even keel, uh, without, either one needing to pull a blaster or lightsaber in the home. Um, it means Obi-Wan has to go back and get approval to do anything. Uh, and it gives Django the opportunity to try and escape. Um, but I, I love this scene so much uh, because it, it just really is one of the, the more entertaining uh dialogue sequences and that I have seen in Star Wars. It is it is so perfectly done and I would have given my left arm uh to be on set to watch them film this because I'm sure they had so much fun doing it. Um so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I in terms of character moments it, it this this shows that you know um that both characters are very skilled at what they do. Um, and this is, you know, they, they're both highly intelligent and cautious. Um, neither of them are, are going to just blast into a situation without thinking or assessing everything. Um, this is, this is sort of the first testing the waters to see what's out there, what kind of resistance we might hit. Uh, and, and Django is the one who, who breaks for the door at the end, you know, essentially, um, and sends Obi-Wan on a chase. But, um, yeah. So I, I love this scene. I, I, there's not too terribly much more that I feel like I need to say about it because it's just, that much it's just so entertaining to me and i love this scene I've, I've talked about it so many times and i will continue to talk about it again so <laughs> i'm glad you i'm glad you had it at the beginning of the episode um and you were 100 right it was going to be on my list so um <laughs> i'm glad oh it's so good it's it's just so good um and it, it again a nice uh a, just so nice having Tamora Morrison back in Star Wars, which obviously, right, he's in Chapter 9 of Mandalorian. Um, but, you know, the point I always make about this scene and why it works for me just so much, I almost enjoy it more than the rumble in the rain. I don't know. It's it's honestly a toss-up because they're both incredible duels in a, in a sense. Um, and something mm-hmm. I've been doing, um, my my partner and I, she she and I have been re-watching through the, the Sopranos. And... To me, The Sopranos, one of the things it does so well is these really strong characters 
just having these verbal showdowns. You know, there's obviously physical violence throughout, but it's not it, it doesn't always come to the physical violence. And I almost enjoy the these two strong, you know, kind of macho y characters having like a verbal showdown almost as much, if not more than, than an actual physical confrontation. And, and I love, there's not a lot of moments like this in star Wars. Um, and this is a, just such a great moment because they both know what's going on. Oh, Django knows his jig is up. He's, he knows Obi-Wan knows exactly who he is and he's exactly Mm -hmm. who he's after, but they just, you know, they're just verbally sparring here. And, and Obi-Wan gives that Jedi decorum of respect. I mean, he even bows to him as he, you know, meets oh, him yeah. and departs. Like, he gives him all that Jedi respect. But he also knows, this is my guy. This is who I've been looking for. And like you mm-hmm. said, Jango's like, I got to get out of here because the jig's up. <laughs> and, uh, right. you know, now it's just, uh, they don't, you know, there is this... There is this civility in the moment. Like they don't immediately throw, you know, throw down with each other. Like Obi-Wan doesn't grab him by the throat or there's no physical altercation yet because it's kind of come to the head here. Obi-Wan has everything he needs. He even sees the the bounty hunter costume. Um, mm-hmm. Like so they're just waiting on their next move at this point. And it's so good. It's just ugh, a great buildup of tension. It's such a good moment. It really is. It really is. And uh, it just gets it's so good. It's just so perfect. There is nothing wrong with this scene. Uh, <laughs> and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. <laughs> in the not, rain. Not, yeah, in the rain, yes. In the rain. <laughs> Only in the rain. Only in the rain. <laughs> Which means you're going to have to come to Tucson in like August or something uh, when it's hot and rainy. But anyways. Um <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> moving on, what is your next uh, your next character moment that you want to highlight? Well, I was thinking about talking about that one for Obi Wan because again, it just it, it 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 shows the toughness and the the respectability of the the Jedi Knight Obi Wan Kenobi. But I wanted to do something a little more fun and also something I find a little more interesting about Obi Wan's character in Attack of the Clones, and it's the moment when he goes to see Dex at Dex's diner. Yes. Um. Obi-Wan. Hello, Dex. Take a seat. I'll be right with you. <laughs> you want a cup of Java <laughs> juice? Oh, yes. Thank you. Oh. Hey, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Your Dex is so good. Um, uh, I, I, I love the scene. Um, first and foremost, I will admit because of the aesthetic of the scene, um, the fact that they are in a 1950s diner will forever work yes. for me. Um, <laughs> but this is, it reveals so much about Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, his, you know, in Phantom Menace, he was the rigid by the book Jedi, who you would never have thought in a thousand years would be friends with Dex, the Dex Jetster, let alone anyone outside the Jedi order. And yet, here we see Obi-Wan in kind of his first moment alone. We see him go to this guy like and it's I love that because it's it shows us how Obi-Wan does have friends outside of the temple. He has friends that aren't Jedi, <laughs> you know, yeah. his, his, as much as he loves the Jedi order and has profound respect for it. He also has some level of a life and existence outside of those walls. Um, 
And I think, again, if you think about where Obi-Wan is sequentially, chronologically at this point in the story, again, coming off of who he was in Phantom Menace, there's a little bit of Qui-Gon to him in this, right? Qui-Gon was all about trusting the living force, trusting whoever the force brings to you in life and, and respecting them and what they have to offer. That's kind of Obi-Wan in this moment is, you know, he... He knows who Dex is. He knows he's a person who's got a lot of wisdom and experience around the galaxy. So he goes to him because he really believes that Dex might have some answers. And by seeking out Dex in this moment of kind of unknowing, Obi-Wan is kind of revealing that he understands that the Jedi don't always have all the answers. And the interesting thing is that he goes to Dex before going to the Jedi Temple Library. Yeah. 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 And then when the library can't back up what Dex has given him, that's when he starts to get confused and seeks the guidance of Yoda because he trusts Dex so much um, that, you know, he would accept Dex's knowledge and, and wisdom in the situation, you know, even though the maps tell him that what Dex is saying can't be real. So yeah. it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I interrupted well, you. No, you're fine. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the kind of the, the central point of this, this interaction between him and Dex as well is Dex points out how there's a difference between knowledge and <laughs> wisdom. <Yeah>. And, <laughs> and I think that this is, you know, that is, you know, that's such a Qui-Gon thing uh, to, to understand that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Again, knowledge is just, to me, this is my way of understanding the difference. Knowledge is just, these are the facts. Here's the empirical evidence. But wisdom is something that you gain from experiencing life. And wisdom you know, is knowing what to do with the knowledge you have. Yes. And there was a deleted scene from Attack of the Clones where we do see Obi-Wan working with some of the droids in the temple to try to analyze you know, the saber dart and they don't know what the heck it is. So that's when he goes to Dex. Um, so he does first try the temple. Um, he tries to get the knowledge, but the knowledge just isn't there. So he goes to somebody with wisdom. Um, and I feel yeah. like, you know, in place of, you know, Qui-Gon's gone. Obi-Wan doesn't have a master anymore. Um, yes. Even though he's not, he's not a Padawan. He, he, you know, the person that he would have probably gone to for wisdom advice isn't around. So he, he goes to somebody else that he obviously deems to be wise. And who is it? It's a big burly guy who runs the kitchen and a small diner on Coruscant. Like, I just, I love what that reveals about Obi-Wan. Um, and I just think it, it shows how much he's grown from who he was in Phantom Menace. Yeah. So. And, you know, and, and Dex has had a long and checkered past, you know, uh, including Prospect and on Subterrell, you know, he's, <laughs> he's not, you know, you're, he's not a goody two shoes in any sense of the word. You know, he's, he's not a, a pristine, you know, Jedi Knight like Obi-Wan is. He's salt of the earth, crusty and been in, you know, more scrapes than you could probably shake a stick at. Um, so it's, it's funny to see that those two characters, are are great friends yeah so yeah and i love it i love it so much yeah um well what is what's your final character moment 
Ah, this one, yes. Final character moment. We're going to go to Anakin and Palpatine in Palpatine's office. Um, Anakin goes there ostensibly to ask for Palpatine to uh, help with getting Padme to go along with the Jedi's plan to leave Coruscant and go into hiding on Naboo. And then the conversation turns from that to Anakin himself. Thank you, you, Your Excellency. And so, they've finally given you an assignment. Your patience has paid off. Your guidance more than my patience. You don't need guidance, Anakin. In time, you will learn to trust your feelings. Then you will be invincible. I have said it many times. You are the most gifted Jedi I have ever met. Thank you, Your Excellency. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi, Anakin. Even more powerful than Master Yoda. I just had to cue it because it's so good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, It is a short scene. It is a very short scene. But it does so much. Like, it carries its weight times 10 uh, in this movie. Um, Because it it not only gives us the fact that, you know, Palpatine kept good on his word to watch Anakin's career with great interest. Too much interest, if you ask me. Um, And he has been feeding Anakin these nuggets of wisdom. Uh, At least that's what he's, you know, trying to, to... pulled them off as um but it's really you know to more to stroke anakin's ego to get anakin to want to confide more in palpatine and just bring anakin closer and closer to palpatine's web uh where he ultimately of course you know will uh close the trap in revenge of the sith uh but anakin is already so far into this web as we see here because not only is he, you know, getting a private audience with the Chancellor, there are no guards in the room. Mm. Like, the Red Guards are not there. Um, this is a private one-on-one conversation with the Chancellor as a Jedi Padawan. You know, uh, he's getting, you know, fatherly advice. You don't need guidance, Anakin, which is always wrong. Um, you always... <laughs> You always need a little bit of guidance and some direction, even, you know, if you're as old as Yoda. Um, and then he's just stokes Anakin, uh, Anakin's ego. And uh, I see you becoming greatest of all Jedi, even more powerful than Master Yoda. You know, th- this is this is everything a young, frustrated, uh, a frustrated young man wants to hear. You're going to be the best at anything. Um, and it's working. It's undermining, you know, Anakin's confidence in the Jedi Order. Um, it, it is causing some friction between him and Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan is trying to reinforce some things because he knows his time training Anakin is coming to a close soon. Um, and, and that is causing the two of them to butt heads, um, as we see in this movie. Uh, and 
and it really sort of clouds Anakin's view of 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 things. You know, it it it's dangerous, but it sounds so nice and encouraging and comforting and but it's not you know it, mm. it, it is there for a malevolent purpose and anakin is too naive to see it so uh this is this is the scene that really kind of shows us how far along palpatine is with his grooming of anakin um and why everything seems to come together so quickly in Revenge of the Sith. So, obviously, we now have seven seasons of the Clone Wars that also help flesh that out. But <laughs> um, for those uh, who only saw the movies, this is the scene that sort of gives us the, the peek into how far along this relationship really is. And it's far. This is This is over, this is a decade's worth of, you know, communication yeah. so it's, it's interesting it's very interesting and uh a little creepy yes yeah because you're right you know it's it's the only scene in this movie between these two characters and then we go to the next one and you know it's it's full-on you know all-out manipulation um but you're right it, it, it's a very brief short scene but it it tells us now I'm sure like this is a critique of some people right like in in movies they you know people say show me don't tell me um George doesn't show us anything he tells us in this movie um Mm -hmm. and does a little bit more showing in in Revenge of the Sith but does a lot of showing in in the Clone Wars series like you said um but you know in this scene we are being told that they you know Anakin really, really, really respects him. And to be fair, earlier in the movie too, right, when they kind of – Obi-Wan and Anakin kind of get into their argument about politicians and Anakin quickly comes to the defense of Palpatine, you know, like he's a good man, um, right? It's very clear that in the past decade, Palpatine has done a lot of, like you said, grooming of Anakin. And Mm -hmm. the only story we've gotten – that really indicates that is the the short comic series, the Anakin Obi-Wan comic series that came out a few years ago where we get those flashbacks of Anakin with Palpatine. And I'll, I'll say this till I'm blue in the face, but I, that's, a, that's a story I want more of. Um, you know, yeah. we keep getting so many stories. I just don't care about. <laughs> it's just like, I really want more stories about Anakin and Palpatine between episodes one and two. Like, Oh my gosh, those would be so good. Um, I mean, that's my preference, obviously. Um, but yeah, like this one scene, it's it establishes that Anakin is very, very close to the Chancellor, and like you said, the probably the thing that really endears him to him is the fact that he's saying, "You're great. I think you're going to be the most powerful." And I think what's so the, to me, the words that really you got to latch onto here in this moment is what. Palpatine equates being a great Jedi with, which is essentially power, right? I foresee you'll be the greatest of all Jedi, even more powerful than Master Yoda. That's what will make you great is your power. And, you know, I think that's he's he's playing off of Anakin's frustrations that like, I'm the chosen one. Why aren't I more powerful? And Palpatine is the one who's saying, like, you are the greatest Jedi. You have all this power. You just got to you got to trust it. You got to trust those feelings of power. 
Um, so, and, and like you said, Jason, I think what's most important is that it is, this is happening in a very private setting. Nobody knows what happens when these two characters meet because it is just their time. And that is exactly, I mean, this is, I mean, in our own, sad to say, but in our own real world, this is how grooming and abuse happens, right? It happens behind closed doors. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. Um, but incredibly important. Yes. The scene is all of 49, 50 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. It's less than a minute. Yep. And it tells us. It's one of the most important scenes in the entire movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, well, I'm right. gonna, what about yeah. you? What's your last one. So my last one is, is a moment that will not surprise you at all, Jason, or anyone else who's been listening for a while. Um, but I will say the moment you just shared is a great setup for it because this is this is what happens to Anakin when he feels frustrated and powerless is he kills things. And this is, of course, that that famous scene with him confessing to that murder um, in the uh, the Lars garage. <sighs> I killed them. I killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women and the children, too. They're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. I, this is, I mean, this is one of my favorite Star Wars scenes. Um, and as much as, you know, we all, lots of folks give Hayden Christensen a hard time for his acting. I think the, these moments like this, this moment is stellar, in my opinion, acting. Um, and, you know, it's, this is someone who's trying so hard to hold it together um, when they feel so powerless and they believe themselves to be so powerful. How the hell could this have happened? Right. And, and, right. And, and I love this whole scene, you know, when Padme shows up and he says, you know, life seems so much simpler when you're fixing things. I was always good at it, you know, and then this is something he just wasn't able to fix. And Padme, I love, and kind of going back to the first point I shared about Padme, Padme says, sometimes there's things no one can fix. Right. This is this is the word. Those are the words of wisdom, the understanding that we all have limitations. Right. And there's certain things you just can't you can't make sense of. You can't fix. But Anakin refuses to believe that because like your moment would show us, oh, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm supposed to be the greatest Jedi ever. I should be more powerful. I should be able to save her. Um, And, you know, this scene is, I mean, quite literally revealing to us the fact that Anakin has taken his first concrete steps towards the dark side. And he's done that because he confuses his pain to mean that an entire group of people are animals and therefore worthy of slaughter. And this scene means even more to me now in light of chapter nine of Mandalorian, where I, I love that moment when Mandalorian explains that the Tuscans are a very brutal people because they are a product of their brutal environment. So taking that knowledge into this scene with Anakin, like you really know, like why were they so brutal to Shmi? Like 
it's part of their their heritage. It's part of their culture. In my opinion, they were kind of like breaking her to see if she could become a Tuscan Raider. That's kind of my way of seeing it. It's that would be in line with like how Native Americans, when they would sometimes capture, you know, white settlers, they would physically beat you to see if you could handle it. And if you could, you could then become part of the tribe. So in my kind of headcanon, that's kind of what was being done to Shmi. It's it's is it terrible? Of course. But it's a cultural norm that's just different from from others. Doesn't make you an animal. But Anakin is just so hurt that he kind of thinks it's okay to say, well, like my pain means more than that entire group of people, right? I mean, that's, that's the pinnacle of selfish. He's not able to even stop himself. Um, and, you know, Anakin knows he screwed up. You know, th- this, this scene is also very much a, uh, um, it's Macbeth, right? Where Lady Macbeth says this, this blood, I can't wash off the blood or whatever. I don't know the line, yes. but that's Macbeth. Yeah. Yes, that's Macbeth. Yeah. And even Hayden acts this really well. He's like looking at his hands. To, to me, that immediately conjures up, you know, Macbeth. He's looking at the blood on his hands. He can't seem yeah. to be clean of. Um, and, you know, he knows he did something wrong. And and Padme, I think, is initially terrified, like as he he, com- he admits to committing, you know, mass murder. Um, but she quickly tries to at least offer some some comfort and, and remind him that anger is, is a very human thing. But Anakin, again, knows he did something wrong. I'm a Jedi. I know I'm better than this. That that whole that language of I know I'm better than this is ultimately him saying I'm supposed to be better than this. And and it's not to again to dismiss what Anakin has done, but he is feeling so limited and so trapped and so confided by the the dogma of the Jedi that he's just feeling so lost now. Um, and no yeah. one has shown Anakin how to really handle his anger. No one has yeah. really given him any uh, practical advice on what to do with that. Um, so you know. <laughs> It's it's just such a powerful moment because Anakin in his heart is still a good person. He knows what he did was wrong and he is feeling guilty for it. I mean, his his whole lash out of, you know, um, they're animals. I slaughtered them. You know, it, it like that quick justification of like, it's OK. You know what I did really isn't that bad. He knows it was really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what is I think what's human in the moment is. Anakin is really hurting and no one has no one has ever really been there to hear what really bothers him. Um, Obi-Wan has not been able to really handle the extent of Anakin's human emotions. Um, And I think in this moment when Anakin kind of falls to the floor and starts crying and Padme, you know, puts her arm around him to comfort him as he's crying. Padme is acting more like a mother figure than a lover. In that moment, mm-hmm. I would say, right? Um, and 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 I think, again, that's that's what Anakin is grieving is he's lost. He's grieving the loss of his mother, and I think Padme is trying to do her best to to give him that kind of energy. Um, and and I think again, that's why there's all sorts of wires crossed with those two. Like they, yeah. you know, them falling in love the way they do is 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 all sorts of problematic because so many wires are crossed. Um, and it, it's it's not condemning it or judging it. It's just I think the reality of it. And this scene is one of those moments that that reveals that is what Anakin needs is a mother. What he needs is kind of that nurturing love. And Padme provides that there. But he should be getting that from Obi-Wan and the Jedi. And he's not. Um, yeah. So 
again, it's just it's 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 just such a incredibly powerfully well acted scene, and and I'm gonna just always love this this scene in, in Attack of the Clones. It's very good. It's very good. Uh, one thing I will I will hit on that you did not is the music in this scene. You know, as he mm, yeah. you know winds up and and starts you know talking about um, you know everything that that happened and what he did. Uh, it is. It's not the Imperial March that we hear at first. It's the Emperor's theme. It's Palpatine. This is the influence of Palpatine that has helped to bring about this expression of his grief and his pain uh, in completely wiping out an entire village of Tuscans. That is what it is. Yeah, And that act has now put him on the path to become Darth Vader. He still has time to get off that path, but he's taken his first big step down that path at this point. Yeah. Um, which is why we get the, the choral swelling of the emperor's theme. And then after it, it all sort of culminates there and he collapses. That's when we get the statement of the Imperial March. Yeah. You know, John Williams, Brilliant as ever in his musical storytelling with this. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's so perfectly done. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out because, yeah, the music is is so good. And, you know, you think to the, the beginning of Revenge of the Sith after he kills Dooku and Falbdine says, remember what you told me about your mother and the sand people? Right. Right. It's, you know, it's most likely true that the only person who knows what Anakin did besides Padme is Palpatine. Yeah. At least and, to the extent. Right. 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 I still, I, I going to interject this real quick. Cause I've always, I always wanted this to be an attack of the clones. And I remember saying this years ago and we did like a prequel trilogy, special edition episode. The one thing I would have added to attack of the clones was having Owen witness Anakin slaughter the Tuscans. Um, just because it would really, really make you feel what Owen says in episode four a lot more when he says, that's what I'm afraid of. I mean, as, as it stands, we, all we can speculate is that Obi-Wan told him some stuff, but if he had seen Anakin slaughter those Tuscans, that'd be plenty of reason to be afraid of the guy. Well, I mean, he went into a Tuscan village by himself and came back with a (laughs) tenderly wrapped body of his mother. Yes. I think I think Owen can put the pieces together. That's um, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it would surprise me if you know rumors of a slaughtered band of Tuscans came by, you know, a month or so later. Right. And yeah. so, to be to be fair to Owen, but yeah, no, I I I do like that point though. Is that if they had gone together and uh, you know Anakin that Owen stays up on the ridge. Yeah, and Anakin says, "Stay here." He jumps down. Yeah, um, and that would have been that would have been pretty intense, right? Right, and like zoom, you know, the camera could have like zoomed in because so you don't have to see what Anakin's doing, but it zooms in slowly on Owen's face of just horror, and you're like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, and maybe you that just get been- to hear it a little bit too, right? You hear yeah. the slaughter happening a little bit more. Um, boy, that's dark, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, um, it's. A- moment it's yeah very dark yeah moment. yeah for sure um and uh but to the point of the fact that he obviously eventually shares this with palpatine um it's clear that while while 
Padme gives him a little bit of comfort and just tries to say like, it's okay. It's okay. And just try to forgive yourself while she is probably, you know, clearly terrified to a degree. Palpatine probably says, good. Revenge is great. Right? Like he really trusts. I mean, Palpatine is a fatherly figure for him and you can be darn sure that Palpatine makes this okay. Like says and says that this is okay. What you did was right. It's natural. You know, like that's what he, I mean, even in the moment in revenge of the Sith, he took your your arm. You, you know, you wanted revenge. It's natural. That's good. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Oh, so many. I mean, we, we, Jason, we barely dipped our toes into the ocean water of Camino here. Um, I know. <laughs> but um, but uh, so so next week we're going to be back talking some of our favorite action scenes in Attack of the Clones because yes. it abounds with action scenes in, in uh, Attack it, of the yes, Clones. It does. Yes, it does. Oh, so many good action scenes. I will have a lot to say next week. (laughs) (laughs) My list is probably already made, and I haven't even sat down to make it yet. I'm like, okay, yep, yep, and yes. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I'm excited about next week. Um, We'll also be doing, uh, you know, another uh, segment of Manda Watch with uh, whatever happens this weekend with the Mandalorian next week. So look forward to that. Um, but uh, Carl, we've got a, we've got a poll for the end of this episode uh, in line with what we were talking about. Uh, yeah. So what are we asking everybody? We want to know what your favorite character moment from attack of the clones is. Yeah. Yeah. I almost put the scene between Obi-Wan and Dooku uh, in the prison mm-hmm. on my list, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I decided that was more of a, plot scene than a character scene so that's why it didn't make the list fair enough yeah i i that was one that i thought you might also include i could and i could see it either way so yeah Yeah. but it is a good one i almost i almost made it an honorable mention but we didn't do those this time so right (laughs) (laughs) all right well carl if people want to weigh in on our discussion about mando watch about attack of the clones character scenes or anything else responding to our poll where can they do that sir um of course we are on twitter at uh wampas lair we're on facebook at wampas lair podcast you can email us at wampas lair podcast gmail.com we're on instagram at the underscore wampas lair and you can of course support us on patreon at patreon.com slash wampas lair yeah we are still trying to promote some more uh people for our wampas lair book club so go check out that tier see if you want to join um, uh, because we're looking to get that started. We just don't have enough people in the tier to really get a book started. So we'd like to do that. So yes. please check it out. Uh, anything else you got, Carl? Um, just if, for those of you inclined, stick around for episode 12 of the A New Hope radio drama. Please do. We're coming down to the end here. All right. That's all we've got for this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. This has been episode number 403, Attack of the Eris. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair. Star Wars, Episode 12, The Case for Rebellion. 
long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there came a time of revolution when rebels united to challenge a tyrannical empire. In the rebellion's greatest crisis, the empire unleashed its ultimate weapon, the Death Star, a huge space-going fortress capable of destroying entire planets. An oddly met group of rebels have managed to penetrate to the heart of the Imperial stronghold and escape with information that may hold the key to victory. But disaster looms too as the Death Star dogs their track, intent on pursuing them to the hidden rebel base and obliterating the rebel alliance forever. Are the rebels well on their way, Vader? Their starship just engaged our sentry fighters and fought her way clear. They're about to make the jump to light speed. Indeed. What uh, were our losses? I withdrew all except four TIE fighters from that defensive zone to make the rebels escape more plausible. All four of our pilots were killed. These traitors to the Empire are formidable opponents. We're fortunate that they themselves weren't slain. It's a pity about the casualties, but they are no great sacrifice to make in return for a lead to the rebel base. An insignificant price. You're sure the homing device is secure aboard their ship? I'm taking a considerable risk in allowing them to escape, Vader. Your plan had better work. Rest assured, we will follow the rebels to their base and eliminate them. Mm. It disturbs me that the Death Star plans are still in that droid of theirs. There was no alternative, Governor Tarkin. The rebels would not have returned to their base without the plans. Besides, they may already have been duplicated. Flushing the R2 unit's memory system would be no guarantee of security. As you say. Well, Mutty? The homing device is transmitting a perfect signal, sir. What are your orders? Follow it, Mutty, and have all personnel placed on standby alert. We are about to wipe another planet out of existence. The Rebels' base world. Then, the galaxy is ours. Give me a hand getting him untangled from all these wires. Oh, yes. Okay, come on. Sir, I really cannot thank you enough. Yeah. Oh, be careful, Artu. How'd you get into this, anyway? Oh, during our engagement with the Imperial fighters, when the ship was being jolted by cannon fire, I was propelled into all those exposed control elements. Right, you should have sat tight. I was attempting to assist Artu in extinguishing a minor fire, sir. Oh, that's so. Well, you two are pretty handy to have around here, after all. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, but I must say, that battle didn't do our circuitry any good at all. Well, don't knock your luck. We cancelled all four of those TIE fighters. You're right, of course, sir. But, uh, pardon me for asking, but where is Master Luke? Uh, he's looking over some minor damage for me. He'll be along in a second. Oh, shall Artem and I go... You do whatever you feel like. I gotta get up to the car. <laughs> well, Artem, perhaps we'd better investigate my circuitry damage. Can you get lateral controls back, Chewbacca? Me and him can do anything with this ship except Luke's system. Okay, partner, I'll take over here. You run aft and see what you can do about the laterals. We can get by on auxiliaries for now. And get those droids to help. 
Well, not a bad bit of rescuing, huh? You know, sometimes I even amaze myself. Doesn't sound too hard. Look, use your head. The Imperials let us get away. It's the only possible explanation for the ease of our escape. Easy? You call that easy? They're tracking us now. Uh, not this ship, sister. Oh, you are impossible. Well, at least R2-D2 is still intact. What's so important about the droid? What's he carrying? The technical readout to that battle station. Oh, I only hope that when the data are analyzed, a weakness can be found. Well, listen, if you're so afraid we're being tracked, we'll lay over someplace. There's no time. If the Empire isn't stopped, other planets will be destroyed as Alderaan was. That's why I've got to risk going directly to the Rebel base. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution, and I'm not in it for you, Princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. You needn't worry about your reward. When you get us to our destination, you'll receive it. Well, don't you think it'd help if you told me where we're going? The fourth moon of the planet Yavin. That's where the base is. And you can go do whatever you like. Money is all you love, then that's what you'll receive. Oh, oh Luke. Princess? Your friend here is quite a mercenary. I wonder if he really cares about anything. <laughs> or anybody. I do. I care. So, what do you think of her, Han? I'm trying not to, kid. Good. Hmm? Still, she's got a lot of spirit. I don't know, uh, do you think a, a princess and a guy like me, you know, could... No. <laughs> where are we headed, anyway? At a fourth moon of someplace called Yavin. It's where all the idealists hang out, I hear. Rebels sure picked themselves a planet in the middle of nowhere, didn't they? How are we doing, hon? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm doing fine. Well, that was Yavin we just ducked around. We're in the fourth moon's atmosphere now. Set down's in a couple of seconds. Did you transmit the recognition code I gave you? No. We decided to get blasted out of the sky. What do you think? Well, the place has a decent atmosphere. Mostly jungle, though. The landing zone's right over there by those temples. Nobody shot at us. Yeah. Looks like there's a reception committee coming out to meet us. If you'll open the hatch, we won't trouble you any further. I'll have the money brought out to you. If you don't mind, my partner and I will come along. Yeah, just to protect our investment, you understand? Anything, as long as you stop wasting my time. Come on, Luke. Uh, cash on delivery was the deal, if I recall right. What's the matter? Don't you trust us? Oh, nothing personal. We don't trust anybody. Uh, pardon me for asking, but have we arrived, Master Luke? Mm-hmm. This is it, 3PO. At last, a place of refuge. <laughs> With that Death Star on our trail, I'd set you straight, 3PO, but I'd hate to ruin your day. Just open the hatch. Oh, instantly, Your Highness. <laughs> it's a jungle planet, all right. Let's go, Luke. Rubio, R2, come on. Come on, R2. After you, partner.
These temples look like they're a million years old. Some fortress. Princess Leia. Your Highness, we hope to was you. Commander Willard is waiting to greet you all. Well, thank you. These droids have to come, too. The R2 unit is carrying vital information. Of course. Take these droids to the speeder and help them aboard. Sir. Master Luke, will you become this Don't worry, 3PO. It'll be all right. Your Highness, if you could follow me to the speeder, we can take you directly to Commander Willard. Your rebellion's got some great equipment, Princess. No heavy combat ships at all. And every one of those snub fighters is older than you are. Someday you'll learn that it's people and not things that decide history. <laughs> you better teach that to the Empire first. That's the whole idea, Han. Leia! Princess Leia! Commander Willard! Oh, Leia, oh. you're safe. We feared the worst. Welcome, all of you. Thank you. <laughs> is General Kenobi with you? We'd had word that you were to contact him. Obi-Wan Kenobi has been killed, Commander. He gave his life in a diversionary action so that the rest of us could escape the Death Star. Hush, Chewie. That's sad news indeed. When we heard about Alderaan, Your Highness, we were afraid that you were lost along with the others. It was a terrible calamity. I'm afraid we haven't time for our sorrows, Commander. We are being tracked here by the Death Star. We were allowed to escape so that we could lead them here. The technical data on the battle station is stored in the memory system of the R2 unit. We must use them to plan an attack. It's our only hope. We are badly unprepared for pitched battle, Your Highness. Perhaps we should evacuate instead. Smart boy. Oh, will you two stop clowning? There isn't time. Commander, if we fail to stop the Death Star now, other planets will be annihilated. And you're right. We have no choice but to fight. Take the R2 unit to the text for special information retrieval. Yes, Commander. Princess Leia. Pardon me, but might I go along with R2? Of course, Vivian. Thank you. Have that information brought to the briefing room as soon as it's retrieved. Yes, sir. We can wait for it there. This way, Your Highness, gentlemen. Our main problem here is personnel. We're desperately lacking pilots, trained or otherwise. Yes, so I'd heard. But now, what of you, Your Highness? Our last word of you was that you'd intercepted the Death Star data transmissions. My ship was attacked by an Imperial cruiser over Tatooine. Imperial stormtroopers boarded us. Then, after Alderaan was... was destroyed, the Grand Moff Tarkin ordered me executed. Executed? Yes. I was waiting in my cell when the door opened and in stepped this man right here. Commander Willard, meet Luke Skywalker. Young man, this is more of a pleasure than you can imagine. <laughs> Even if we'd known the princess's whereabouts, I doubt that we could have mounted an operation to get her out. Uh, well, actually, it was sort of <clears throat> improvised. All the more to be admired. The ability to think on one's feet isn't common. Well, uh, Han and Chewbacca here had as much of a hand in it as I did, and so did Ben Kenobi. Yeah. Han... Oh, oh yes, your, your captain and his friend here. Uh, sir, allow me to congratulate Why don't we just skip the formalities? I'm going to push ahead to the important part of the princess's story. That planet killer is on its way here, and personally, I don't plan to stick around and get reacquainted. I don't quite follow you. Oh, you'll live a whole lot longer if you do, believe me. Look, I got dragged into this mess. I'm just a guy with a starship for hire. I was promised payment, and I want it. Han. The rest of you can do whatever you want, but I kept my end of the bargain. Now you keep yours, Princess. Uh, Princess Captain Leia, Solo I... may have no morals whatsoever, Commander, but he's right. Both Luke and I promised him payment for his and Chewbacca's help in this matter. Very well. I see I misjudged you, Solo. Oh, I'll cry later. Right now, I'll settle for cash. Uh, in small used notes, if you got it. This is a rebel camp. We're hunted people with, with very little imperial currency among us. Oh. Uh, well, your tech facilities must have stocks of precious metals. Yes. Well, they'll do. But that's critical material. 
We need those metals for repairs to keep our weapons and equipment functioning. Look, I lived up to my end of a deal. Now you live up to yours. Even a rebel alliance has to do business with us independents from time to time. If I put the word out that you're a bunch of swindlers... Commander, see that he's paid, please. Not all your stocks, but whatever you can possibly spare. Very well, Your Highness. It won't be wealth unlimited, Solo, but it ought to satisfy even you. What do you say, Chewie? <laughs> okay, box it up for us and we'll be on our way. It will take some time to have it measured out and put into containers. Well, make it fast. That Death Star is not going to stop to chat once it gets here. Any place I could clean up a little while I'm waiting? Oh. There's a basin in the pilot's ready room down that corridor. You'll have it all to yourself. Come on, Chewie. <laughs> Sing out when you're ready. <laughs> I can't believe it. I know he always talks tough, but I thought when it came right down to a decision... Well, the man's amoral, no conscience at all. No, Commander, you don't know him like I do. He may be stubborn about a lot of things, but inside... Look, you heard, Han. He's made up his mind. Let me talk to him, Princess. I know I can bring him around. Guys, from now on, partner. I keep your pelt on. Once we get out of this place, we'll be able to afford a nice long rest. On? What now? Hey, they're not trying to back out of the bargain, are they? Will you stop being so suspicious of the whole galaxy? I told them I'd come and talk to you. I told them I could change your mind. Well, then you fit, kid. This ain't my fight. Don't you think it will be when the Empire takes over? You think the men that built the Death Star are going to leave people like you and Chewbacca alone? Well, if we mind our own business. Well, stop lying to yourself. Be careful, Luke. And what are you going to do? Sit here and hold the princess's hand while the Death Star turns this whole planet into a gas cloud? Look, I... Commander Willard said they need pilots. I'm going to volunteer. <laughs> what? <laughs> Luke... Do you know what I saw when I was getting us out of that battle station? I don't care. Besides all the cannon and missile tubes and that big planet killer, it's got fighter bays. Lots of them. And those Imperial pilots are pros. I know it'll be dangerous. And do you happen to know what a green pilot's life expectancy is in combat? Huh? A minute or so. At least I'll try. What about you? You and Chewbacca and the Millennium Falcon could make all the difference. Han, you're a crap pilot, a veteran. Why can't you Because I used up my time. More long ago. I see. You only think you do. You won't help us. Then. Look, I did what I could, but that's the limit. I'm not dying over somebody's cause. Others will. Others have. Others. You're talking about the old man, aren't you? Ben. Right. Ben said there was more to you than you wanted to admit. Well, then he was as crazy as you are. I'm still raising you. The least you could do is leave the metals behind. These people need everything they can lay their hands uh, those on. Those metals would only be blown away with the rest of the place. With me, they'll do somebody some good. But you could keep that from happening. You could stay and fight. Oh, look, me and Chewie finally have made our pile. Our luck's turned good, and I'm not going to question it. So that's why you're afraid. Afraid? Listen, that little stroll through the Death Star was light exercise. We've been through scrapes it. Oh, never mind. Just don't talk to me about afraid. Well, I guess there's nothing more to talk about then. Well, and this ain't even a risk. It's a sure thing. This place won't even be here an hour or two from now. So why should we stick our necks out? Maybe to give your life some meaning, Han. Yeah? Well, who asked you? Huh? 
you, you see a towel around here somewhere? No. Oh, my shirt will do. John, are you sure you won't reconsider and uh, join us? Great. Now you. Look, forget about me. I've made my decision. You want to do somebody a favor? Luke's going to volunteer to fly a fighter. Luke? Go talk him out of it. Go save his life. I don't need to. Luke's made the right decision. What about you? I've had my fill of playing hero, thanks. It's a sucker's game. That's your final word? You better go say goodbye to Luke, princess. That right decision's going to be the last one he ever makes. Sir, I was told to report here for flight... Sir... He Whoa. calls me, sir. Biggs! <laughs> Biggs! Dark Rider! Hey, what are you doing? Good to see you. What are you doing here? Well, that's my line. I was the one who went off to join the rebellion, remember? <laughs> hey, you! You're supposed to be back on Tatooine. <laughs> oh, boy, Biggs, have I got some stories to tell yeah, you. I'll bet you do. The whole base is talking about the new arrivals. Smugglers, <laughs> droids, and a renegade princess. <laughs> you got here in some strange company, but you got here. I told you I'd throw in with the rebels one day, didn't I? Luke, I never doubted you for a second. <laughs> I know you do. Too well. Now, what's this about testing? What? Oh, uh, Commander Willard sent me. I volunteered when he said you're short of pilots. Desperate's more like it. <sighs> well, you know how good I was with the T-16 back home. Look, we're sending up pilots with less experience than you. And T-16s are a lot like the snub fighters we're using. I know, I looked one over. I'm sure I could handle it. Uh, but there hasn't been much time or fuel for training, and there's none to spare for testing you. Besides, we couldn't risk losing a ship. Oh. Well, I... I understand. <laughs> no, no. What I meant was is that I'll have to test you here, in this flight simulator. Oh, all right. Well, hop in. Okay. Okay, I'm going to run a full combat simulation, Luke. Now, buckle in tight. You're going to be pulling realistic G-forces. Check. All set, Biggs. Close her up. And good luck. Okay, Luke. Here you Go! Attack sequence. Now! First attacker. Destroy! Good! Second. Direct hit! Very good! Third. Yep! Excellent! All right, let's see how you do against increased G-forces, buddy. <laughs> Not bad. Go get him, Luke. Not bad at all. Wow! Woohoo! What a ride! How'd I do, Biggs? A lot better than most of the guys who were going on this next mission, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I have to show your test results to Commander Willard, Luke. Oh, sure. Now, you wait here. I'm going to go over... Oh, uh, pardon me. Oh, no, it's my fault, really. Oh, well, Biggs Darklighter of Tatooine, meet Princess Leia Organa of Alderaan. Oh. Your Highness, this is my best friend. Uh, uh, pleased to meet you, uh, Your Highness. And you, Biggs, Luke's spoken of you. Well, uh, I have to go. Uh, th that is... Uh, pardon me. <laughs> How'd the flight test go, Luke? Well, he has to check it out with Commander Willard, but it looks like I made it. Oh, well, aren't you going to congratulate me? I spoke with Han. He wouldn't change his mind. I know. And he said that... that I should talk you out of flying a fighter. 
I said that you'd made the right decision. You don't sound very sure. Luke, you've never flown in combat before. Neither have some of the others. Biggs is fresh out of the academy. But he and the others have been training. Well, you're looking at the hottest gully jumper on Tatooine. Bush piloting isn't the same as combat flying. Luke, you've done so much for the Rebellion already. Nobody would blame you if you didn't go on this mission. I just wanted you to know that. Leia, thank you. But it's what I want. So much depends Skywalker? on Skywalker? Sir? Biggs here just showed Commander Willard and me your test results. And? You only got killed twice. Oh. Cheer up. That's surprisingly good. Since Biggs was tossing the whole Starfleet at you. <laughs> you know the techniques? Your body can stand the strain. Uh, looks like you got yourself a bird. I have? Yeah, and I'm your wingman. <laughs> Welcome to Red Flight. Thanks. You'll be Red 5, Luke. Biggs is uh, Red 3. Oh, together again, Hotshot. <laughs> Let's go, Luke. Biggs, uh, mission briefing starts uh, now. Uh, um, your, your Highness, if you'll excuse us. Of course. Luke? Yes? I'll see you before you leave. Fine. Hey, look, uh, let's get a seat, Luke. The show's about to start. Right, Biggs. May I have your attention? Uh, we have analyzed our new information and formulated our attack strategy. Please direct your attention to the screen. This is the Death Star. Now, this battle station is heavily shielded and carries a firepower greater than that of half a Starfleet. Its defenses are designed, as you can see, around the concept of a direct large-scale assault. But small, one-man fighters should be able to penetrate its outer defenses. Pardon me for asking, General Dodona, but what good are snub fighters going to be against that? Well, the Empire doesn't consider a small fighter to be any threat, but they'd have a tighter defense. But an analysis of the design plans provided by Princess Leia has demonstrated a weakness in the battle station. Now watch this enlarged view carefully. The approach for your attack run will not be easy. You're required to maneuver down this trench in the station structure and skim the surface to the point you're seeing now. This target area is only two meters wide. Now the target, the target is a small thermal exhaust port right below the main port. The shaft leads directly to the Death Star's reactor system. A precise hit down this shaft will strike the reactor and start a chain reaction which should destroy the entire station. Now, I cannot stress too strongly the point that only a precise hit will reach the bottom of the shaft and strike the reactor. The thermal port is ray shielded, so you'll have to do this job with photon torpedoes. That shot, that shot is impossible, even for a targeting computer. But it's not impossible. I used to bullseye womp rats in my T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than two meters. Yeah, and were the womp rats shooting at you with turbo laser cannon? Oh, huh? uh, gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Now, we've just gotten word that the Death Star has entered this solar system. It is orbiting the planet Yavin now. And we'll be within firing range of this moon in just over 30 minutes. Now man your ships and may the force be with you. Look, Biggs, go shoot up, then meet me in the hangar area. Right away, sir. Hey, come on, hotshot. Hey, aren't those two the ones who came in with you? Where? 
Oh, yeah. Han? Chewbacca? Hello, kid. Me and Chewie just dropped by to watch the fun. Our pay is almost ready. So, you really went and signed on? That's right. Oh, Big's Darklighter? I want you to meet Han Solo. And that's his partner, Chewbacca. Big's a hometown hero, huh? Luke talked about you. You're on the team, too? Yes. And you? Not a chance. Me and my friend have places to go and things to do. So do we. I know all about it. Let's go, Chewie. Best of luck, hometown heroes. You're gonna need it. What was all that about, Luke? I'll explain later. All light for the manifestations. All light for the manifestations. Let's go. The rebels are now committed to a desperate stand against the Death Star. The battle station rushes towards them. Its commander determined to wipe the Rebel Alliance out of existence. In the next 30 minutes, Luke Skywalker and everything and everyone he cares about will know triumph or disaster. Star Wars, Episode 12 by Brian Daly, based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. Featured in the cast were Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, James Blendick as General Dodano, Cale Brown as Biggs, David Clennon as Mati, Keen Curtis as Tarkin, Perry King as Han Solo, Brock Peters as Darth Vader, and Anne Sachs as Leia. The series was directed by John Madden, with sound mixing and post-production by Tom Vagley. Music by John Williams. Sound design for Lucasfilm by Ben Burt. Story editor for the series was Lindsay Smith. Casting and production coordination by Mel Sarr. Executive producer was Richard Toskin. Executive producer for Lucasfilm was Carol Teitelman. <laughs> <laughs>